We're in a new series called Q&A. And if you're new with us today at People's Church, this is different than what we normally do. So this four, the next four weeks is totally different than what we normally do. I'm answering your questions. And you can see on the outside of your bulletin how to text a question to us that we, I, we can answer throughout this series. You can also go, jump on the website and send us a question. Uh, we, we've already got a lot of questions that have already been sent in. So my, what I'm doing, what's happening the next four weeks is answering the questions that you are sending in. If it's sent in enough times, and we will answer that question. And I want to thank some of my good friends because I didn't come up with this idea and yet it's, it's so helpful for the local church to help you grow and get your questions answered. I want to thank some of my friends like Chris Hodges and ministry friends, Ed Young and Craig Rochelle and Perry Noble and Willie George for the idea and even for some of the research and information that has been provided to me for this series. And, and I want you to know right up front how I am approaching this Series. So let me tell you the kind of the ground rules. I believe the Bible is the word of God. And so if you ask a question and the Bible speaks specifically and clearly about that question you ask, I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. And I believe that the Bible is right. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 and 17, all scripture, all of it is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine. All 66 books in your Bible are profitable for doctrine, for reproof. And some of you are going to get your doctrine shaped throughout this series. It's, it's for correction. It brings correction to us for instruction in righteousness. Some of you are going to learn about right living and how to honor God. That the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And some of you are going to be better equipped to do God's work through this Series. And I want you to notice one thing it says. It says that the word of God, it's, it's, it's given for inspiration for one of the reasons is correction. And some of us are going to learn that, hey, maybe our life has not lined up with God's word. And listen, we don't ask God's word to change for us. We change for it. And so we have to adjust our life up with God's word because it is the inspired word of God. And so the second way is this. So if the Bible speaks clearly about it, it's the word of God. I'm going to tell you exactly what the Bible says. Now, some of you have submitted questions to us that have to do with things that, 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 that have only occurred in our generation. And so the Bible doesn't speak to everything that has just occurred to our generation, like the Internet. I mean, that, that wasn't back there in Bible days. The Bible doesn't say anything about the Internet. It wasn't there in those days. But you ask questions about things that that have occurred in our generation and the bible doesn't give a specific answer about certain subjects so what i'm going to do is we're going to look and find principles that will apply it doesn't speak directly to it but there are principles that are closely related to the subject that we can draw principles from and get a biblical answer if i can't find a principle in the bible to give you about your question then i'm going to give you my holy ghost inspired opinion that's right. Holy Ghost, Herbert Cooper, inspired opinion is what you're going to, and I'll let you know when I'm doing that. And let me say this to you. If you disagree with my opinion, you disagree with my, uh, how I'm answering a question, that's cool with me. You have the right to do that. Matter of fact, as long as we don't disagree about the essentials, we got to agree on the essentials. The essentials would be Jesus is the son of God. 
He died on the cross of Calvary for our sins. He rose again on the third day. The only way to, to heaven is through Jesus Christ. I mean, the essentials we have to agree on. The non-essentials, if you have a different perspective or view than me, and long as you are looking at the Bible and basing it on the Bible, man, I am great. That, that's okay with me as long as you don't get an attitude. Well, preacher, let me tell you what I think. I really don't care what you think. I got my opinion. But the issue is this, is that we do it in love. Because can I tell you, if you don't do it in love, according to 1 Corinthians 13, you're just a bunch of noise. And even if we find out that one day you're right, you're really still wrong if you don't do it in love. Because Jesus said, you'll know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. So if you snap your finger and pop your head and tell her, you are wrong, even if you're right. So one thing we're going to do is we're going to treat one another in love. Whether your spouse disagree with you or your friends disagree with you, we're going to handle it in love. Question number one, abortion. Is it okay to have an abortion? And I want us to answer by looking at what the Bible says about the unborn. First thing that I want you to see about what Scripture says is that the unborn are called babies in the Bible. Luke chapter 1, verse 39 says this, At that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, notice this, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The baby was in the womb, the Bible says, and in the womb it was called a baby. I want you to notice this, this verse in the next chapter in Luke 2 and verse 11 through 12. It says, today in the town of David, a, son, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes in claw, in claws, in, and lying in a manger. Now notice this, in the womb, it's called a baby. And the baby who is born, baby Jesus, once he's born, is called a baby. And the interesting thing is this. The same Greek word is used in both scenarios for the unborn baby and the, 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 the baby who's outside the womb. The Greek word breakfast is, is used for both. You see, the Bible doesn't call an unborn baby an unformed substance or a mass tissue or a blob. It actually calls it a baby. And even in the womb, a baby can sense spiritual reality. You see, when John the Baptist came in contact while he was in the room, he came, in the womb, he came in contact with Jesus who was still in the embryonic stages of life. John the Baptist leaped in the womb. It says that like this in Luke chapter 1 and verse 44. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And, 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 and Jesus, his mother Mary and, and Elizabeth are meeting and, and finding out, hey, you, you are carrying the Savior of the world. You're giving birth to the Savior of the world who's going to pay the price for our sins. And John, the Bible said, while he was in his mother's womb, leaped for joy in the womb the bible calls it a baby and lets us know that even in the womb a baby can sense spiritual reality the second thing i want you to see about the unborn that the bible says it says the unborn are created by god now according to the bible god is involved in the conception and development of a baby 
in the womb. Now, let me tell you what the Bible doesn't say. The Bible doesn't say that the two people who hook up, that God brings them together every time. Because if Dirty Diana and Freaky Freddy get together, the Bible doesn't say, I'm not saying that, neither does the Bible. The Bible does not say that God brings everybody together. But the Bible clearly says that God is involved in the development of every baby in the womb. Psalms chapter 139 and verse 13, the psalmist said, For you created, God, you created my inmost being. I get my daddy and my mama did. I get all that thing. But, but, but God, God you're, you're the one that created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. When a baby is developing in its mother's womb, the Bible says that God isn't just watching. God is working. He's developing. He's knitting together. Job said in chapter 10 and verse number 8, the context of the book of Job is Job has went through sorrow. He has lost his family. His kids have died. He's lost his, li- his livestock. And so this is Job's response to, jo- to God and all that, that Satan has put him through. He says, God, your hands shaped me and made me. I get my mama and my daddy, but God, I realize something deeper. Your hands shaped me and made me will you now turn and destroy me remember that you molded me like clay will you now turn me to dust again did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese clothe me with skin and flesh god you did this and knit me together with bones and sinews god you did this you put me together god verse 12 you gave me life my mama, I get the doctor was there or the midwife was there and she helped or he helped. I, I get all that, but God, you're the one that gave me life and showed me kindness and in your providence watched over my spirit. The psalmist said it like this in Psalms 100 and verse 3. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. The third thing that I want you to see about an unborn baby is this. Not only is God knitting and developing the unborn baby, but God has a purpose and plan for the unborn. Here's what I want you to see the Bible says is that God's purpose and plan for an individual doesn't begin when they're born. While a baby is still in the womb, God has a plan and a purpose for that baby. Scripture says in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 4 through 5, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you, I want, this, there's another verse. Matter of fact, there are many scriptures in the Bible that talks about how God knits us together, how God is the one that develops us in our mother's womb. I didn't, didn't have time to unpack all of the scriptures, so I just gave you three or four there. But before I formed you, I did this, Jeremiah. I formed you in the womb. I knew you, God says. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah, while you were still in your mama's, in, in, in your mama's belly, I want you to know I had already set you apart. I already had called you to be a prophet. Jeremiah, I already had a plan and purpose for your life. Paul said in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 15, but when God who had set me apart from my mother's womb and called me through his grace was pleased. God, Paul says, listen, one thing I know is even while I was in the womb, God had called me to be a preacher to the Gentiles. He set me apart while I was even in the womb. God has a purpose and plan for every baby while they're, while they're still in the womb the womb. A professor at the University of 
UCLA, UCLA Medical School asked his students this question. Here's the family history. The father has syphilis. The mother has TB. They already have had four children. The first is blind. The second has died. The third is deaf. The fourth has TB. The mother is pregnant with the fifth child. The parents are willing to have an abortion if you decide they should. Class, what do you think? Most of the students decided on abortion. The professor said, congratulations, you have just aborted Beethoven. Because God has a plan, no matter the situation or circumstances, for every baby in the womb. And those who ask the question and you're considering an abortion, I want to encourage you. Give birth to your baby. The baby that God is developing in your womb. The baby that God has a plan for before it's ever born. You say, well, pastor, I feel unfit to raise a baby. There's this wonderful thing called adoption that I would encourage you to do. If you feel like you can't raise your baby, there are some godly parents that would love, and I know some people even in our church, but godly people that would love to raise a child. And I would say, listen, don't abort. Put your baby up for adoption. God has a plan for that baby. There was a teenage girl that sent a message that, that gripped my heart. And uh, I won't say the age, uh, but a girl in our church has said, Pastor, how do I tell my mom and my, my parents that, that, that I'm pregnant? And uh, if you're in this, in this service, I, I want you to know we love you. We're behind you. We talk a lot about sin and preachers beat up people and get right. But I want you to know this church, we don't just teach holiness, but we also love people when they make a mistake. And you're loved, and we care about you. You're not an outcast. We'll support you. We'll get behind you. And I just want to say, talk to your parents. Let me say something to the parents because she's scared. I sensed it in the email. She's scared. And I'm going to say, listen, don't blow up. Don't go. She, she's already pregnant. The mistake's already there. I mean, she's already under distress. Don't make it worse. I told you. You, don't, you leave this house. You don't come back. Don't do that. You're just making it worse. Let, let us help you through it. Love her. I'm encouraging her to come to you. I'm encouraging her to come to you. When she comes, I believe she will. She's searching for Anne. I believe she's going to come to you. Would you handle it in love? Would you handle it with grace? I had one mom after second service said, I'm going home to ask my daughter. Oh, Lord, gee, I'm about to handcuff you, woman. Amen. <laughs> you need handcuffs. You're going to try to hurt some. Do it in love. And I would encourage you, tell somebody, don't abort. Adopt. God has a plan for that baby in your womb. The second question is this about tattoos, tattoos, a little lighter question. People want to know, should a Christian have a tattoo? 40% of people in our country between the ages of 26 and 40 years of age have a tattoo. And today I, I, I have a big reveal. And, um, you know, there, there are some things I feel like, you know, between a husband and a wife. And so my wife and I, we share everything with one another. But since we're talking about this subject today, I thought today would be the appropriate time to have the big reveal. And so, um, 
I'm just playing, folks. Uh, but I did see a lady grab a purse, get ready to leave. Uh, yeah, I saw you. Uh-huh. No, I don't, I, I, don't, I don't have a tattoo. If I, if I did have one, it would say, Tiff is hot. <laughs> I thought about God's bod, but I think I like Tiff is hot better make my wife happy. You know what I'm saying? But, but no, I don't, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have one. But, but uh, th- those who are against tattoos... They, they, they usually say things like this. They, they get some practical reasons and even quote a Bible verse. And people who are against tattoos say, say things like this. Well, for practical reasons, you know, you have to realize I'm against it because some people will, will, will judge you. And that's what some people say. You know, people will judge you and, you know, maybe they'll think you're rebellious. Maybe you're going for a job interview and you're tatted up and you may, you, they, they may judge you. And, and I'm not saying it's right that you're judged, but I'm just saying that just, you know, that, that can happen. Or maybe you're dating a young lady and you, she, she likes you and she's bringing you home to the parents to meet and they, they look at you and they, maybe they, you're the young lady and he's bringing you home to the parents and they look and they start maybe judge you. And so you, that some would say, Hey, Hey, I, 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 I I'm kind of against it because I, uh, I think you'll, you'll be judged. So, some people say that are against having tattoos. They say, well, you have to realize I'm against it because it's a permanent decision. It's permanent. You're making a permanent decision. And so some people are against it because of that, because, you know, what looks good at 20 doesn't always look good at 65. And so, I mean, so they say, I'm, I'm against it. You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, you got, I love mom. And by the time you're 65, it looks like I love Mo. And people are like, what? You love who? You love Mo? Huh? And, and so it's a, you know, it just, it's, it's a permanent decision. There, there are some people, some of you know people like this. There are people, you know, they fall in love. They're like a girl. And, they, and so they want to put a tattoo and it says, I love Shaquilla. And then they marry Tina. And then, huh? And then your kid looks at you at 10 and says, daddy, why you got Shaquilla? I thought, boy, I quit looking at my arm. You know what I'm saying? And so you make, you're making up. Some, some people say I'm against it because it's, it's a permanent decision. And, and, and there, there are those who are against it that actually use a Bible verse. And it's actually the only Bible verse that talks about tattoos. And it's Luke chapter 19 and verse 28. It says, don't cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. And so that's what the Bible says. So I'm done. Let's move to the next one. I'm just playing, folks. I'm just playing. Let's dive a little bit deeper. And so the interesting thing is this. Here's what's interesting is the people who are for getting a tattoo would use the same verse and chapter to say why they're for having a tattoo. That they would say, if you take this verse literally, then you better live by all of it. You better live by the entire chapter if you're going to use that to say somebody can't get a tattoo. Because Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 19 also says, do not mate different kinds of animals. Do not plant your field with two kinds of seeds. Some of you with a garden in your backyard, the Lord's not happy right now, huh? You got squash and corn. You are in, I'm, you are in trouble. That's all I want you to know. I'm your pastor, and I have to come bearing some news to you today. It goes on to say in this portion of Scripture, do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of materials. Everybody in here going to hell today, amen. You all, are, all of y'all going to hell. Every one of us going to hell right now because that's, that's, what, that's what the Bible says right there in the same chapter. That's what, that's, what, that's what it says. It says in Leviticus 19 verse 26, do not eat any meat with blood still in it. How many of you like your steak medium, huh? You're going to hell. That's all I want. I come to tell you, you're going to hell. 
There ain't no blood in you. That's what, that's what the book says. That's what, that's what you want to take it literally. That's what it, it says. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 20. The same chapter, the same chapter, verse 27 says, Do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip the edges of your beard. I'm going to hell. Huh? I just got a haircut on Thursday. So fresh, so clean, so fresh. So, but I'm going to hell fresh and clean. I'm going to hell fresh. Fresh with a nice fade going to hell. Um, so, so people who are for getting attacked to would use the same verse and chapter to support their argument. And to understand Leviticus 19, you have to know the context of the chapter. You see, the Israelites had just escaped from Egyptian bondage. And God was telling them, listen, don't take on the pagan practices of the Egyptians. You see, the Egyptians would cut themselves to worship foreign gods and idols. They would put tattoos to worship and idolatry. I mean, they, and you have to get this. Israel, you have to get the con. They were involved in this pagan society for 400 years. And now God has brought out his people. And he says, listen, I don't want you to take on their practices. No, they've influenced you. You've been there 400 years and they, it's full of, I do not want you to take on their practices. And so the bottom line of what God is driving home here is the principle of idolatry. You do not be an idolatrous nation. I want to be your only God. I do not want you worshiping any other pagan gods. And that, that's what that is all about. And the Bible says that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it. And so when we read the Old Testament, there are times you have to look and say, Jesus came to fulfill the law. So the principle is still true today. Now, the application might be, it may not be a tattoo about idolatry, but the principle is still true that we should not have idolatry. We should not worship any other God. And the way that applies to you and to me today may look different than it did way back when Israel was on the planet. And you say, well, pastor, what do you think about tattoos personally? Well, here's my opinion. And someone came to me and said, Pastor, it is, is it scripturally wrong to have a tattoo? My answer would be, no, I can't say that. I can't say that. Just like I can't tell you scripturally to eat a steak medium well is wrong. Just like I can't tell you to put squash and corn in the same field is wrong. So, no, I can't say that scripturally because the context is idolatry. But I would say this. If you live in your parents' home, you eat your parents' food, you drive your parents' car. You wear your parents' clothes. I know you call them your clothes, but you wear your parents' clothes. I agree with whatever your parents tell you. And that's kind of my stance on, on that. So I don't. Somebody says, well, pastor, I'm 52 and I still live with my mama. Well, you're in trouble. That's all I could you. You're in trouble, man. You're in trouble. I would also say that... Um, be sure to weigh the pros and the cons. That's all I was. I say, be sure. Be sure to weigh the pros and the cons. You may be judged. I mean, that, 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 that could be a reality. Be, weigh the pro. Know that you're getting something permanent. I'd say weigh the pros and the cons. I would also say that whatever design you get tatted on you, you need to take seriously. You, you need, the Bible says that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And some of you would do things that you wouldn't do things in this temple that you do to, to, to this temple. You wouldn't do things inside of this church house that you would do to your own house. And this is not really the church house. You are the church house. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So I would just say, be sure that you're prayerful and what you put on your body is going to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. You know, you probably ought not get weed tattooed 
on your arm and flex it. We, that's probably not going to glorify Jesus. And so that's what I think about tattoos. Uh, third is homosexuality. This is of the questions submitted thus far, and there's been a lot submitted. This is probably the second most popular question as I've read through the questions. Uh, I think the top question that I'm going to talk about next week, the top question has been masturbation. And next week, I'm going to gracefully, but yet biblically, deal with the subject of masturbation right here from this platform. It's PG-13. If I was you, I'd put my kids in kids' church next week. <laughs> That's what I'd do. Um, um, we're going to look next week at can you lose your salvation? Someone know about suicide? And so we're, we're, going, we're going to tackle, we're going to tackle that and, and more next, next week. Homosexuality, this is a very debated subject in our society. Some churches and denominations are credentially gay ministers. Some states have made it legal for homosexuals to be married. And the question is this, is homosexuality a sin? And I would just say, let's see what the Bible says. Leviticus 18, verse 22 do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. That is detestable. New Testament, Romans chapter 1, verse 24 says, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful, that's the word the Bible uses, the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts. That, that's the, what the Bible says, committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. And the answer is scripture is very clear that homosexuality is a sin. And some would argue, and I actually had a, a friend of mine that I respect uh, talk with me about this this past week and argued this. And his argument was, well, Paul talks about homosexuality as a sin, but Jesus doesn't mention anything about it, so it must be okay. And this debate is called an argument from silence. And, and what, what that means is if something isn't said in the Bible, that must mean it's right. But, but, but hear me, hear me, hear me. That's really a horrible way to develop your theology. Because Jesus never said anything about wife beating or incest either. But we know that biblically that both are, are sins. And whenever somebody says Jesus didn't say anything about something or about a particular subject, therefore it must not be a sin, they're assuming two things. Let me address those two things. They're assuming two things. First, they're assuming that Jesus talked about everything that we face in life, and he didn't. I mean, you just read, he, Jesus doesn't talk about everything that we face in life. And the second thing that they're assuming is this, that Jesus' words are somehow more inspired by God than the rest of the Bible. And some of you believe that. 
you believe Jesus' words are more inspired because your Bible has Jesus' words in red. And isn't that cute? That is so cute. But that does not, that's not, is not more inspired. I read it to you earlier in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 that all of the Bible is inspired by God. So, so that's, that's, not, that's not true. A, a lot of people ask, well, but what, but, but aren't people born gay? And honestly, I don't have a medical degree. Uh, I'm not a scientist, so I don't feel real qualified to address it from that angle. But I can tell you from a biblical perspective, and that is this, that we are all born bent towards sin. We are all born in sin. Matter of fact, you don't have to teach your kid how to sin. They'll lie all by themselves. They'll take the kid toy from the other kid all by themselves. Mine, one of the first five words every kid learns, mine. And, that, and you don't have to teach them that. We're all born bent towards sin. As a matter of fact, some of you have a bent towards a particular sin because of your family. You look at your family history, you can look, man, every male or every female in your family. Grandma struggled with this. Maybe it was murder or lying or cheating or adultery or alcohol addiction or drug addiction. And you can look down down your line, your your lineup, man. You can see, man, yep, everybody's been to prison. Everybody's liar. Everybody, I mean, you can look, man. And, and, And some scientists would say this, that when you were born, that you are bent towards a particular sin because of your family genealogy. And here's the question. Here's the question we have to wrestle with. If we are all bent towards a particular sin, and we are, we're bent towards sin, we're born in sin, the question is, does that give us a license to sin? And the answer is no. The Bible is our authority. The Bible has the final authority. And though we're all bent towards a particular sin, it doesn't give us a license to disobey God's word. Some people say, well, can those who struggle with homosexuality be a Christian? And I would say yes, just like someone who struggles with adultery can be a Christian, someone who struggles with lust or lying can be a Christian, someone who struggles with jealousy or overeating can be an overeating preacher. Would you quit messing with me right now? Well, I'm just saying, if you struggle with that, you can still be a Christian because to be tempted is not a sin. The Bible says in James chapter 1 and verse 14 to 15, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire. And no matter how holy you are, how long you live for Jesus, we all have evil desires inside of us. We all are tempted. We all have these thoughts that come into our minds, these feelings that, that come into our, our hearts. Well, listen, we all have that struggle that we're tempted. The problem is when he is dragged away and enticed, he meditates, she meditates on it, she or he begins to really think about it and plot about it and plan on it. And the Bible says then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So to struggle with something, to be tempted with something is not a sin. Some would say, well, can a gay person change? And according to the Bible, the inspired word of God, the answer would be yes. First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9 through 11 says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedies, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. Everybody shout were. Oh, come on, you didn't shout. Everybody shout were. 
That's what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Please hear me. We like to single out one sin and march on it and pick it about it and scream, and that's, that ain't God either. You know what I'm saying? Listen, sin is sin. And no matter what sin you may be bound in, you can be set free. Jesus said, whom the Son sets free is free in D. Can a person change from any type of sin? The answer is 100% yes. By the power of Jesus Christ, a person can change and live a life of freedom. Please hear me. Free doesn't mean a person will never be tempted. Freedom means is resisting the temptation. Freedom, listen, doesn't mean that you won't be tempted. The Holy Spirit doesn't keep you from temptation. The Holy Spirit gives you the power to resist the temptation. You can live free. I talked to a lady after church today, after the second service. She's a pastor. Did you know? I had no idea. She's married with kids. I was gay for 20 years, and she has been set free. I asked her, will she share her testimony? I wanted her to do it today. Amen. You know what? I should, all I'm saying, no matter what sin you're in, we like to single out one, but whatever it is, whatever addiction, you can be free by the power of Jesus Christ.